Jesus, we come before you longing to hear a word from you. Jesus, we thank you that we have access to your word, that you guide us, comfort us, and teach us through your Holy Spirit. Take the very little that I have in my hands, and will you multiply it so that your people are transformed, not by the words that I speak, but by your words alone. Thank you for the opportunity to stand here and teach, God, and be honored and glorified in it. In your name we pray, amen. All right, good morning. All right, let's get right into it. We're going to talk about trials and tribulations. What? So trials and tribulations uh, and troubles, if you haven't realized yet, are a part of our lives. Um, The Old Testament prophets were familiar with trials and tribulations and how God used these things to accomplish his purposes. And we know that he is the same yesterday. Say it with me. Today and? That's right. So let's be real. Do you ever feel like nothing goes your way? Have you had a season of, season of that? Like even maybe God isn't close to you. You can't find him or feel him or sometimes that's happened. You may be dealing with financial problems, marital problems, health problems, family problems, job problems, car problems, and they go on and on. Or maybe today you're someone who hasn't experienced many problems But I will tell you right now that if you're alive and you're a Christian, you will. Things look pretty dark in today's world if we have that perspective, yes? Have you turned on the news lately? It can be kind of scary if we let it get to us. But no matter what side you land on, these are times of uncertainty, unrest, dark, Sometimes they're impossible. When you watch the news, it can cause anxiety to some people, for some people. But remember, in, in John, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, right? And we know the answer to that, what he, what he continues to say. But how I've chosen to look at the perspective of the world is this. Maybe God is setting the scene for our Lord and Savior to return, right? Maybe he's just setting the scene because he did that before with his birth. He set the scene. Now, hindsight is always better, but we're going to get right into this. We're going to continue with our study in the Gospel of Luke and are going to see that even Mary and Joseph had their fair share of trials and tribulations, but we're going to see how they handled it. And we're going to see what God did about it. You'll see what God will do for us also. It's an encouragement to us if we allow it to be as we handle trials and troubles in our life in a similar way to Joseph and Mary. We're going to go back a little bit. In Luke 1, Pastor Rennie spoke on the birth of John the Baptist and some of the events leading up to the birth of Jesus Christ. Miraculous, right? In Luke 2, we find and meet a tyrant. Very often, our problems in life can be associated with other people. Not always, but often. They disagree with us, or we with them. We have an argument. They do things we don't like, or they say something that offends us. In verse 
In verses 1 through 3, we see a selfish and egotistical tyrant who, has caused, who causes a lot of problems for Mary and Joseph. Let's read Luke 2, 1 through 3. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Let's stop there. We're going to learn a little bit about Caesar Augustus. I know our students learn about him in history class. And as a matter of fact, a story for another time, uh, I sat through uh, many slides in my art history class in college. Way too many slides of Caesar Augustus. He kind of seems to be a big deal in history, especially with all the statues that were created. He had lots of statues, lots of um, sculptures made of him. It appears he was a big deal to history, um, and he had quite the political platform. He preached peace and taxes. It says here in verse 1 and verse 3 that he made a decree for everyone to go to his hometown and be registered. In effect, he's saying, I need to know how many people there are in the empire so that I can tax them accordingly and know how much money I am going to make. Of course, the difference between Caesar Augustus and current presidents, modern presidents, is that Caesar was not elected by the people, nor does he have term limits. He was kind of like a king or, we'll say, emperor. He could do whatever he wanted. And here, he wanted to tax people. And in order to do that, he needed them to register, to take part in his census. But let me tell you a little bit about Caesar Augustus. His real name was Gaius Octavius. He was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. And so when Julius Caesar died, Octavius became emperor. And with it, the title of his position, Caesar. He should have been known as Octavius Caesar, but he had a very big ego, and he thought he was a very big deal. So, being proud and arrogant, he wanted to be greater than any other Caesar before him. And so, with the approval of the Roman Senate, he dropped his name Octavius and added the title Augustus. Augustus means majesty. It's a divine name. It means divinity. It carries the idea of being of the gods. In essence, Caesar Augustus means Caesar, God. He was proclaiming himself to be God. That is part of the reason he taxed people so heavily. He figured a God should live a God life with ease and luxury and that the people should pay for it. So he taxed them, his subjects, not necessarily his people. He didn't care how this heavy tax was going to burden the families in his empire. He didn't care that his method of taking a census would literally uproot families and move them, possibly people losing their jobs, possibly forcing people to have this great disruption in their life, in their regular everyday life. He didn't care if people were sick. You have to register. He didn't care if people were old. You have to go. 
He didn't care. What mattered to him was his empire and himself. It didn't matter if you were inconvenienced by his decree. He wanted his money. He was a god. And if you didn't like it, that's too bad. If you tried to rebel, he had a mighty army to deal with those problems. So let's go back to Mary and Joseph. Quietly and humbly, they submitted to this decree, even though it made their lives so difficult and miserable even, and they ran into many troubles. So we're going to look at verses 4 through 7 at the troubles they experienced. 4 through 7 says, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was, while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and brought, she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In that small span of a verse, they experienced so many troubles here. First of all, verse 4 says, They went out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. They have to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which is actually a span of 80 miles, about. With a car, you and I, we could make that trip in about an hour and a half. But without a car, it's quite a distance for anyone to travel. The journey took them several days. And let's not forget, Mary was nine months pregnant. This is not the ideal time to go on an 80-mile journey by foot to be registered by this, follow this decree. It's an inconvenience in their lives, to say the least. And I'm sure it's a pretty scary thought. Joseph was a descendant of King David, but even that didn't matter. He couldn't throw that around. What we see is Joseph, a man of God, subject to being pushed around by an egotistical, pagan, selfish Caesar, thousands of miles away. To be real here, if we were Joseph, maybe we had have demanded our rights. We might have posted our outrage on our Facebook page. Can you believe this? Maybe we would have passed around a petition for people to sign. Maybe we would have garnered support for our cause, picketed, held signs, maybe even marched. We would have passed around a picture of our wife who was nine months pregnant, demanding how Caesar could make a woman in her condition travel 80 miles by foot to be taxed. Maybe we would have raised an outcry against the tax itself and how unfair and unjust it was for Caesar to do this to us. And how the Roman government was wasting the money it did have. But not Joseph. He took it on the chin, submitted. He packed his bags, got a donkey for Mary, who was about to deliver her child any day, and left for Bethlehem. That's it. No complaining that we know of, no campaigning for sure. Just obedience. And of course, things only got worse 
when they finally arrived in Bethlehem. The journey went much slower than normal. Why? Because of how far along Mary was in her pregnancy. So by the time they arrived in Bethlehem, long after everyone else, it meant there was no place for them to stay. The end of Luke 2.7 says, there was no room for them in the inn. Let's stop there. Just think about that for a second. Think about Joseph for just a minute. A good man, a new husband, fully human, just like us. Here he is, because of this decree, he has to leave his home, his job, and go on an 80-mile journey, taking his very pregnant wife. And then, to top it all off, when they arrive in Bethlehem, he realizes there's no room for them. There's no place for them to stay. Imagine that for a minute. Nothing is going the way I'm sure Joseph hoped it would. Nothing. All his plans to provide food and shelter and safety for his new wife and his soon-to-be-born child are destroyed. I'm sure this was way more than he could honestly humanly handle. This is not the way to start a marriage or a family. And I'm sure it was beyond anything he had dealt with before. He could, have, he could be at his wit's end. We don't know. Maybe he doesn't know what to do. Maybe he's angry at Caesar Augustus. The Bible doesn't talk about how he feels. But maybe he feels angry at God for allowing this to happen this way. Maybe he just wants to throw in the towel and quit at times. But he doesn't. He presses on. Though sometimes it doesn't look like it, and maybe, most likely, it doesn't feel like it, he knows that God still loves him, and God will work all of this out for his good. He knows that. He remembers that God is still in control. And Mary, let's talk about Mary. If anyone had something to complain about in this situation, it was her, okay? Nine months pregnant. I didn't want to get off my couch at nine months pregnant. That's the truth. It was difficult. I was tired, and I couldn't see my feet, okay? Chris was a 10-pound baby. I really couldn't see my feet. <laughs> but, they, but she went and took this 80-mile journey with her husband and then at the end of it, when she thought, maybe I can rest a little bit, finally we made it, there's no place for her to lay her head. Nowhere. So, into what was most likely a cave, historically, used by a stable for domestic animals, Mary begins to have contractions. Just great. Timing is everything, isn't it? It is everything, and we'll learn about that. I don't know if Mary thought this, because I kind of have been inserting myself a little bit, but I, I can tell you honestly, I would have said, God, is this what it was supposed to look like? Is this how it's supposed to go? Like, I am carrying your son. I've been through so much already. Can't you find us a cleaner, safer place to stay? Can you make this delivery wait a few more days until we get out of here? 
But God didn't wait. He had his reasons and his purposes for having his son born in a lonely, dirty stable, right? And in that cave, she welcomed Jesus, the king. It appears from the verses, as we read it, that she didn't have any help. No mention of doctors, no mention of midwives, just Mary and the animals. And it appears, if you read it, that Joseph wasn't even there. Maybe he was going to look for help or maybe get some water. But there is a lot of loneliness in verse 7. Did Mary cry? Was she scared? It's painful to deliver a child. Very painful. Remember, she's no more than 17 years old, possibly 14. Teenager. So I'm sure this is no way she thought this miraculous baby would come to the world. And Joseph, he probably felt like his hands were tied. If you've ever, husbands, have been there when your wives are giving birth, you feel helpless. Well, Joseph is that man. He doesn't know what to do. It's not what he wanted for his young wife. Maybe he felt helpless, unable to do anything. But that is the way it happened. According to Luke 2.7, it was Mary. Mary wrapped the newborn babe in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. It wasn't Joseph, no mention there. It was Mary who delivered wrapped the baby in swaddling cloths, and it was Mary who laid him in a manger. All the scenes that we see in movies, you know, it's always Joseph and Mary and all these people helping with this baby, even the animals. It's not how it happened. Again, the manger, not the best crib, has no safety features, okay? You ever notice that these days you have to like buy new cribs because after a certain number of years, they're like, oh, that one's, re- you have to recall that one. That one's not safe. No baby bumper, no baseball, you know, patterned, comforter, nothing. Just a feeding trough for animals and hay to lay on. Again, it, maybe it's something that distressed Mary and Joseph. I don't know. But I kind of think, And I hope that they looked down and gazed upon that baby and just said, okay, we know because of who God is that everything is going to be okay because they are witnessing a miracle laying there in a manger. They held onto the promises that were given them months before. In fact, the swaddling cloths themselves that she had wrapped him in were symbols of that very thing. Swaddling cloths are different than swaddling blankets these days. Swaddling cloths are strips of linen which are wrapped tightly around newborn babies. They would straighten out the baby's legs and wrap them tightly with these swaddling um, cloths so that the baby couldn't bend back into fetal position, which is a natural, you've seen newborn babies, they literally bend back into fetal position. They believed back then that by straightening the child's legs and wrapping those legs straight, that you were actually creating strong legs, strong, longer, leaner legs. So that was a common practice. But it's an interesting picture here because it would be about 33 years later that Jesus would be wrapped again in strips of linen 
and placed in a cave once more. And in both instances, from a worldly perspective, those were seemingly insignificant to the world at those times. But things changed drastically in those two moments. In both instances, at Jesus' birth and three days after his death, just when the night was the darkest, just when those who loved Jesus, his parents at his birth and his disciples at his death, began to wonder if God had forgotten them. And then the angels came to announce a change. An uncaring tyrant, Caesar Augustus, caused Joseph and Mary great troubles, but they endured them without becoming bitter. And as a result, God acted on their behalf and everything changed. In verses 8 through 20, we see troubles turn to triumphs and how not everything is what it seems, beginning with verse 8. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. It is true, so now these shepherds are around Bethlehem. It is true that around Bethlehem, it was the only place in the land of Israel where flocks could be kept, and especially where sheep for the temple services could be tended. These shepherds were watching over Passover lambs. They were the Passover lamb shepherds. So it is totally appropriate. Don't you love God? It is totally appropriate that they are about to go and look at another Passover lamb that will also be sacrificed in his lifetime. Let's continue to verse 9. I love that one. Verse 9. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Throughout the Bible, we see that fear comes upon people when they encounter angels. It's not the, um, ooh, got goosebumps kind of feeling. Fear. It hard, you know, it's like, oh, I'm feeling a, an angel, lovely. It's like they are literally like fearful. But this is what the angel says. Verse 10 through 12, then the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Here's the message. Basically, the angel tells the shepherds about the birth of Christ, that he will be savior and how to find him. Very clear. Verse 13 through 14. And suddenly there was an, with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among men with whom he is pleased. Isn't it interesting that Caesar Augustus, who wanted to be hailed as God, through his ego and tyrannical rule, set in motions in which, set in motion events in which the one true God would come to earth and be praised by angels. Man. History tells us that Caesar Augustus was praised for having brought worldwide peace called Pax Romana. You guys have heard of that, right? Pax Romana? 
But we know that it wasn't peace that was real or lasting. A philosopher once said, while the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart for which man yearns for more than outward peace. But here in this passage, the angels proclaim Christ will bring peace. And peace does not come through money or power, but through a humble, seemingly insignificant newborn baby. And true peace comes to only those who believe in Jesus for eternal life. Only through Christ can you have true and lasting peace. That is the message the angels are proclaiming. And we need to remember, this is an important one, the literal translation of this scripture is glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Or we could say toward men who are in God's will. The NIV says it actually very good. I like this one too. It says, on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. You see, Jesus did not come to bring, bring peace to the entire earth and to all people. Now, it is offered to all people. We see that in verse 10, which says, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. But that, on, but that, on, but that only those in whom he is pleased will receive it meaning those in God's will. You see, in Isaiah 48, 22, God says there is no peace for the wicked. We live in a wicked, sinful world. And those who live in wick wickedness and sin cannot have peace. They'll never have peace. If, however, you are one of those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior by believing in him alone for eternal life, then you can know the peace that the angels are talking about. Romans 5.1 states, Therefore, being justified, justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace is available to you today if you are a person of God's will. And what is God's will? To believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. That is his will. So simple. In John chapter 6, some people come to Jesus and ask him, what must we do? What must we do to, to do the works of God? What is his will? And Jesus said this, this is the will of my Father, that you believe on him whom the Father has sent. That's it. Believe in Jesus for eternal life. Do you want to have the peace these angels are proclaiming? I do then you need to be a man and a woman of God. Choosing to do God's will with your life, which is to believe in Jesus for eternal life. But if you reject Jesus, you reject peace. You reject peace because there is no peace in this world without him. Let's continue. Verses 15 through 16. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven and the shepherds said to one another, let's go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. 
So the angels disappeared and went back to heaven. And the shepherds looked at each other, said, let's go. And they did. And it says they came with haste. They were rushing to see Jesus. I wish we were all more like those shepherds. I wish I was more like those shepherds. With haste. They heard the word of God spoken by the angels and they immediately acted. They didn't wait around until it was morning. They didn't ask for better directions. I mean, they didn't even have Google. They just started going. You know, hey, angel, you wouldn't by you know, ha- chance have a better street address. They received by faith the message of God and the, and the message he sent them, and they responded with immediate obedient, obedience. I'm sure being local shepherds, by the way, that they knew, they knew the area in which the angel was talking about. So they probably checked a few caves until they found what they were looking for. And I want you to remember, the angels didn't appear to kings. He didn't appear to religious leaders. They didn't appear to Caesar Augustus. They appeared to shepherds. Shepherds in the field. And at the time, shepherds were outcasts in society, look considered lowly. It seems that the poor and the people who are nobodies are often the ones whom God gives special attention to. The shepherds actually became the first evangelists, the first witnesses to spread the good news. They told everyone they met, see in verse 17. Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning this child. Again, a lesson for us. Not only did they obey God's word and immediately respond, they also went beyond and told others about Jesus, anyone who would listen. Once you have seen Jesus, oh, it is a privilege and an honor and a necessity to tell others about him. Once you have seen Jesus, you can't keep from talking about him, even if you tried. I know I can't. The shepherds were so excited about what they had seen and heard, they had to tell everyone. And look at the result in Luke 2.18. It says, And those who heard it marveled at those things that were told to them by the shepherds. I think about that. These are sh- Remember, this is, look at the, the, their caste in society. Now all of a sudden, people are listening to them. Why? Because they believed. When you meet someone who truly believes, you can't help but, one, A, think they're crazy, or, two, be like, this is real. When you meet someone who believes, you're going, I, 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 want, I, I marvel at that. Like, wow, they know what they're talking about. This is the key. You see, things did not go as planned for Mary and Joseph. They experienced more trouble than they should have and rather complain, rather, rather, rather than criticize or bury their heads, or numb themselves on Facebook, or quit, they quietly accepted what God was doing. Joseph could have made a stink and demanded he get what he deserved as a descendant of King David, but he didn't. Mary could have gone around bragging that she was carrying the promised Messiah. Look at me. And as a result, she could have demanded that she be given the best room. Don't you know who I am? I am highly favored. She did not. 
Mary and Joseph chose to accept the trials and troubles that God sent their way. And as a result, God lifted them. He gave them what they needed all along their journey. He raised them up. He sent angels to announce them and shepherds to pass the word for them about who they were and what kind of child they had been blessed with. Store up in your hearts the blessings and promises of God, for it is those that will sustain you throughout your journey. Make sure you're doing that. And Mary is such a great example of this. We see in Luke 19 through 20, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen and as it was told to them. Mary had eyes to see, to see God upon her and her life, even in the midst of dire and less than ideal circumstances. She believed God. She trusted in him, and so did Joseph. No matter what it looked like, that is the kind of faith I am striving for. Mary was not the one to go around and tell people about how great she was and how much God had blessed her. Instead, she kept all the things and pondered them in her heart. She held on to the promises of God in all that she had seen him do in her life. And it was the shepherds that God used to tell the world about Mary and her newborn baby, the one true king. Joseph and Mary's trials and troubles were overwhelming, and I can't imagine how I would have handled all of that. They could have pointed the finger if they wanted to, blaming the selfish emperor Caesar Augustus, blaming the government in which they lived under, but they didn't. They were not hardened or angry. All of the suffering, inconvenience, and discomfort caused by the decree of Caesar was actually the loving hand of God working out things to accomplish his purposes in his perfect timing. You see, 700 years before, through the prophet Micah, the Messiah, it was said that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. And so while Caesar thought he was the one in control, it was really God who was in control. That arrogant tyrant was only a puppet, a tool in the hand of God to accomplish his purposes. The Messiah was born in Bethlehem. And all of us need to learn from Mary and Joseph that our sufferings, our troubles, our trials in life are tools in the hand of God to mold us, to shape us, to make us into something beyond our wild imagination. That it does not matter who was emperor, king, or president, God is on the throne. And his purpose and his will cannot be thwarted. It will never be thwarted. So like Mary and Joseph, let's trust in God's promises, not in promises of man. You'll hear a lot of them. Stand on the word of God. Humble ourselves. Seek quiet, quick obedience. And trust in the one true King, Jesus Christ. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am encouraged, and I hope you are too, by Mary and Joseph and how they responded in troubling times. 
It's hard to read when you really sit, when you guys go home and you really devour this story. Take in all they went through. Don't take my word for it. Go home and read it. Really put yourself there and say, wow, God, how faithful they were with the very, very dire circumstances they were given. Because it seemed at every corner they faced hardship. We don't like hardship. I don't like hardship. No. But God was always in control. So we can have peace today. Because his promises are true. We have to let the peace that God offers us be our mark as a people. That no matter what the circumstances look like, the health report looks like, the marriage situation looks like, the financial situation, let the peace of God reign in your life. Because you are a follower of Jesus Christ. You have access to that peace. As the angels proclaim to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. We are his people. We can have peace. Although Christ, only through Christ can you have true and lasting peace. And remember, when you watch the news, it's not always what it seems. Our God is working everything out for the good of those who love him. He will not leave us, and he will never forsake us. Keep trusting Jesus. Keep believing in him and keep reading his word. Our God has worked out the plan for us just as he did for Mary and Joseph. And no matter what it looks like, we win. We are victorious through Christ Jesus. If you watch the news and wrestle with what's going on in the world, remember who is on the throne. Remember we were never promised easy and we actually might never understand how or why. But trust that our God is setting the scene for the triumphant return of Jesus Christ. That is what he is doing. So when you turn the news on and it causes you anxiety, shut it off and get into the word because he is coming back for us. So we have to stay in that mindset that he is coming back. And just as God set the scene for Mary and Joseph for that birth, how dark and that tyrant was ruling, remember, God was in control. And he was working the good out for Mary and Joseph, and he will work out the good for us. He will. Thank you for allowing me to share God's word with you today. It is so humbling always when I get to do that. I'll end with this. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know where you are in your finances, in your situation, in your marriage, in your jobs. But troubles do come. Troubles will come. But take heart. Because Jesus has overcome. He has overcome. He is writing our story. You got to give him the pen. Give him the pen. Relinquish and surrender what you thought it would look like. Because it probably doesn't look like 
what you thought it would. But I promise you, his promises are real, and we've got to stand on his promises. Do you have fear? You read the scriptures, and you speak over that fear with his words. Do you have anxiety? You speak his words over that. You have financial problems? You go into the word and you speak over that. He's given you the authority through the power of the Holy Spirit to speak over your circumstances. We have to realize that, take it, and then use it. And be a people marked by peace. Not the peace that comes from the world that can't, but the peace that only comes through Jesus Christ who is our Lord and Savior, and he is coming back for us, and he is well-pleased. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that we have access to peace, that in the world where people are searching for it everywhere, God, that you have revealed it to us through your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Father God, that you plucked me out and that you placed me with you. Father God, remind your people that you love them, that you are calling them by name to yourself, that you are asking them to devour your word, devour your word. Father God, I speak over people's lives who are fearful, and I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. I speak over troubles in their lives. And I ask for your Holy Spirit to reveal yourself in their lives so that they have eyes to see beyond their circumstances and trust you and you alone. And Father God, give them a hunger for you. Give us all a hunger for you. You are our hope. You are the answer. You are everything, Father. God, I thank you for who you are in this place. I thank you that you speak to your people still, that you are alive and you are well, and that you love us with an unconditional love that sometimes we can't even imagine. I thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.